I don't think it's been a, a surprise that as soon as I start. Sorry, guys. Need to make this play real quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're comfortable. Thank you. Thank you. Well, not that comfortable. It's the first time doing this, but uh, uh, I have to make the play for Lin. He's going to get mad at me if I don't do it. Hey, baseball fans, welcome to another episode of Put Me In Coach, a podcast all about the great sport of baseball. As always, I am one of your hosts, Matt Coggins. And I'm your other host, Carl Mizell. Friend, how are you? Doing fantastic, because it's not just the two of us this week. We are joined by a guest, which is rare for us, hopefully becoming uh, less rare as, as the yeah. podcast goes on. But this week we are joined by Josh Feckety, who is a friend of yours, Carl, and I hope in the future a friend of mine. Uh, Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Josh is a is a buddy of mine. We go back a few years. He was a recent great guest on my other podcast, uh, Cheap Smut, and you are the second guest of this podcast after my wife. <laughs> I'm in good company then. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're doing great. And we've got another guest coming up next week, but we'll we'll talk about that next week. So, because I want to focus on you, I want to give you the attention. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, which is probably all of you, because this is Josh's first time on the show, he is a friend of mine from Cleveland, and so we've got some Cleveland uh, Guardians talk tonight. And Josh had a great idea for that. So, uh, later in the episode, we're going to bring him in and, and talk uh, some Cleveland Guardians baseball. Josh, I wanted to ask you um, a bit about yourself and like what's your what's your history with baseball and and what brings you to this sport that we all love i think i feel like baseball was like other than the browns baseball was like the familial sport in our house that was like the one that had the most yelling and excited like good yelling over it um yeah. the browns was usually <laughs> browns was usually the high blood pressure kind of yelling um but my mom was a huge fan of it and my my mom was a single parent so i was like that was like a huge influence on me it was like oh she likes this so like i mean i think i like this, this is cool and then uh Jose Mesa killed that for me for like a decade or so. Um, like really just shot my love of sports in the head. Um, and oddly enough, uh, one of the topics we're going to talk about later is what kind of brought me back around to uh, enjoying sports a lot more in my like mid to late 20s. Oh, I was going to say it was meeting me, but I didn't know you back then. <laughs> you just you just intensified it. I, I did. You guys, Plus... you guys intensified that love. <laughs> Thank you for that. What's the what is the your earliest like? What's the the first thing you remember about your baseball fandom? Do you have like a, a like a nascent memory that you hold on to that the the first thing jumps out at you? The first one that jumps out is is probably the first game I ever went to was I got to say watched them lose to the Twins unfortunately, but I got to see Kirby Puckett play, and oh. for whatever reason I was a big Kirby Puckett fan as a kid. Nice. Yeah, but it, uh, yeah, that was that was probably my first my first like one I if like a knee jerk memory that I think of. Hell yeah! So did you got to go to Cleveland Municipal then? Yeah, a couple times, couple times for Browns games. Um, we got some really stellar seats behind a, a big steel I beam. <laughs> so that's <laughs> was really really well. Uh, it was a really well constructed stadium. It was really well laid out. 
Yeah, I can. I, I call that the single mom special because I sat behind a couple of those seats uh, yeah. as well. I believe I believe they call those obstructed view in quotations. Well, that's what they're supposed to be called. But yeah, uh, yeah. Single, we'll call it single <laughs> single parent seats. I I, I don't want to. I'm be sure. I'm sure there. they came from you know some parts store or something that someone in my family had a hookup from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a couple free tickets. Oh, free tickets. Oh, free tickets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was was that stadium as big of a dump as as it's been said to have been? It was. It. I remember it being very rough. I remember a lot of like tr- old school trough bathrooms and. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, not enough room in the old school trough bathroom, so you had people just peeing in like alley, like not alleyways, <laughs> but like the the ramps and. Th- I mean, it was. It it felt lawless. I guess for. I mean, I think I think a lot of things do for a young kid. But like that especially felt like I was like, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> Like, like Jacob Field, see a trough, uh, yeah, as a kid, it's a strange like, what experience. What is this? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, a, a point between Matt and I that you might. Did you ever? I grew up with a stepdad who liked to race bombers, so we spent a lot of time at Auto City and Dixie Motor Speedway. Did you ever get to the, any of those places when you were growing up? I'm, a, I'm aware of them. I grew up around. Okay. Them. I've been to a couple <laughs> once or twice, things like that. Yeah, you, yeah. So you know exactly what we're talking. It's a bunch of ice poured into a trough. I don't know what the ice was supposed to be. It, it, like to keep the smell down is what I, I think so. I think the cold, cold neutralizes, uh, allegedly neutralizes smelly odors. Yeah, I'm glad you said allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I still well, it doesn't mean the ice still melts. I mean, just because the ice is cold doesn't mean the room is. <laughs> exactly. Now it just smells like cold piss in here. Yeah, it's like piss potpourri. <laughs> Aren't you glad he brought me on here? Because now I'm saying things like this on this podcast and piss not the one where I'm supposed to say. Oh, it's like it's it's fine. I've I've told Matt several times we should put like an explicit warning on our show because we cuss a lot more than I think <laughs> most baseball podcasts do. But he runs this ship. I'm just here to. I'm not bleeping anything out. It's <laughs> <laughs> here to make jokes. Um, well, let's let's get on to the news, and uh, it's not great news, but we got a great theme song. Uh, Shohei Otani has received surgery on his elbow for a torn UCL. He will not play again this season. I don't think that's a surprise for many. Not much to play for uh, with the Angels out there. Uh, indicated that he didn't get. Tommy John surgery. They they like explicitly left out those words Tommy John, but instead got some kind of repair in the sprain and an insertion of what they call an internal brace, which we've been hearing a lot of lately. Um, who's that? Uh, the quarterback for the 49ers, I think, had a Tommy John type surgery uh, with the internal brace. I believe Brock Purdy. Yeah. Yeah. And he was only out for five months. So they're looking at Otani being back sometime within the next six months and making the opening day roster. So that's that's the idea with this internal brace thing. Mm. And 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 also on top of that, it was announced uh, over the weekend that uh, Mike Trout has also uh, been shut down as well. He was moved to the 60-day to injured list, and they called up uh, right-handed pitcher Carson Fulmer in a corresponding move. Uh, and because he was moved to the 60-day IL, means Trout doesn't count against the team's 40-man roster. Doesn't matter. The Angels' season is over. And uh, I, we've talked about it on the show before about where we think Otani is going to land in the offseason. But I don't think Trout or Otani is coming back to the Angels, boys. I just don't see it. I wouldn't bet so. I, I think the Angels are going to try and move him for as much as they can get. Trout. I mean, I wouldn't if I was either of them. <laughs> 
why, why would you? Why would you want to come back to the worst job you've ever had? Yeah, it pays you well, uh, but Otani's been over here for four seasons now, and they have not made the playoffs that entire time. They haven't even been close. So I, I Trout, he's locked in. He's got his bag, and he, it, he's at the mercy of the market and whether or not they can move him, but I'm pretty sure Otani's... Yeah. Out of there. Well, in lighter news, I guess, there was a uh, a pitcher out of uh, Toronto, Yusei Kikuchi, who left the September 18th game with cramps. And it was a little bit scary because they're making a playoff push and they need all the pitching they can get. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll make my next start. I just had some cramps. And he thinks it was caused because he only got 11 hours of sleep instead of his usual 13 or 14. Yeah, now... Boy, now, howdy. Poor guy. <laughs> must be nice. Josh, how many hours of sleep you get in a night if you're lucky? Average night, like five, six, yeah. maybe seven if I, like, quote, go to bed early. Yeah, mm-hmm. same. Uh, this is this is peak pitcher behavior. <laughs> only only a pitcher would do this. And I, I, I mean, I love a quirky pitcher. Uh, you know, if you've seen Bull Durham, you know, if you've got... You've got fungus on your shower shoes when you're in the minors you're gross but in the majors you're quirky um and this is uh peak that behavior you wouldn't hear a catcher saying this <laughs> yeah, this is like sleep. touring the touring band like would be like that would be lead singer would be yeah, having it, the same complaint. exactly <laughs> guys I, I can't talk today i, I i'm just gonna hand you post-its all day <laughs> i'm gonna hand out flyers i've got a glass of tea i'm gonna try and take it easy before the show <laughs> Um, Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals is just one homer and two steals away from the first 30-50 season in AL history. That's 30 home runs, 50 steals. A miraculous season eclipsed by his team that kind of sucks shit. They're on like a weird upturn in the last month of the season though for whatever reason but <laughs> mm. don't don't massage it they don't kind of suck shit they totally suck shit to be but, fair they're not the worst in the league oakland has reclaimed that title yeah, so that's true but it has been it's been really exciting as much as we you know take the piss out of the braves and ronald acuna it's very exciting to see the the opportunity because back you know when jose canseco had the first 40 40 season it was like oh my god this is going to change the game and then very few people did it. I know Alfonso Soriano did it. I don't remember any others uh, doing My it. My character on MLB The Show does it of, every season. Of course, Matt yeah. Coggins in MLB yeah. The Show is, is 80-80 every year. Right now um, he's floating around 30, 120, but he'll he'll get that 40. <laughs> got to. Got to get there. But yeah, no, it's 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 great to see. I'm, I, I love those second numbers and those adding up. I want to see more 30-30s and 40-40s and whatever other combinations they can think of. I like Bobby Witt as, as much as it is like, ah, the Royals, but he seems like a really special guy. I think he's going to, he's going to go off. Hell yeah. The Mets on the other yeah. hand Ugh. have not gone off. <laughs> um, currently sitting at 71, 85. I assume that 85 will grow before the end of the year. Uh, they're now guaranteed a losing record. Uh, if you exclude shortened seasons, they are the fourth team in major league history to post uh, a losing season one year after winning 100 games. Uh, that includes the 1986 Cardinals, the 71 Reds, and the 32 Cardinals. Jesus. That's just sad. <laughs> and if, for those of you who have been listening uh, for the entire run of the show, Josh included, uh, Matt and I both predicted that the Mets were going to win <laughs> the World Series, not go to. <laughs> I think win. they're coming a little, a little short, a little I, short. Uh, yeah, if by short you mean selling, <laughs> having a fire sale, uh, and then hiring a, a brand new baseball 
big baseball boy to run the front office. What's uh, funny is that they've done better since that fire sale. Getting rid of Verlander and Scherzer is the best thing that happened to the season. So yeah, man, Matt, you, or Josh, you've been following the the Mets at all? You just you, you kind of no. stick to yeah. That's fair. That's okay. I just want to make I try sure. To, I try to follow like big headlines and stuff, but I don't. Yeah. I don't get as this. This show is where I get my nitty gritty from. So no, no, no. Yeah, and and you know what? I'm glad you said that because that's something Josh or Josh Matt and I always talk about is like trying to make this for the fans, by fans for fans, but not sure. like getting in there and like, no nah, man, F war is more important than B war. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> so I respect your honesty. Thank well, you. maybe the Mets will do something amazing. And t- and turn it around again and win a hundred games next year. I, and then we'll anything's have to possible, talk, right? We'll have to we'll have to find out when was the last time a team won a hundred games and then sucked ass and then won a hundred games. <laughs> in I was like, gonna say the Orioles are on pace to do the the opposite: lose a hundred games, come back, win a hundred games, or something like that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's crazy what's going on in Baltimore. Um, this will be tied a little bit to the main topic of the episode, uh, but this is a really exciting thing that happened over the weekend. Um, at the top of the AL West, at the end of last week, so I think it was around Friday when I discovered this little stat, it was the first time three teams in the same division were all within half a game or fewer of first place with 10 <laughs> games left to play since division play started in 1969. That's and that's crazy. the Houston, uh, Texas, and uh, Seattle. Houston, comma, Texas, comma, Seattle. It's not Houston, Texas, which is also a place. <laughs> <laughs> the Houston, Texas, Seattles. Uh, yeah, that'd be confusing. It's, it's wild. And, and again, we're going to talk a little bit about some historic runs. Uh, like we're about to see, Seattle is currently playing Houston. By the time you hear this episode, a couple of games will have happened, and either one of those teams is out of the playoffs or maybe something magic is happening. We don't know. Oh, we, uh, we're in the past. <laughs> This is, I mean, by virtue of the medium, the moment you say something, it's in the past. <laughs> um, and we then operate this, in the in between. <laughs> I wanted to tie in a little bit to uh, what Josh is going to say because uh, we're we're talking a little bit about Tito Francona and how he's kind of quietly retiring this year, and that's by design. He doesn't want to make a big show of his retirement. The opposite end of this spectrum, uh, across the AL Central, is our hero Miguel Cabrera who has gone on a road trip. Uh, Every time the the Tigers are on a road trip, he gets a fun little gift. And uh, pretty much every place he goes, lavish, beautiful gifts from the the visiting teams. Because he's had a 20-year career. He's played these people. He had uh, uh, the Angels gifted him a surfboard. The Dodgers gave him a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. He got a rocking chair, a custom humidor, a cowboy hat. Almost all of these gifts are paired with a substantial donation to his charity. And then this past weekend, the very final road trip of his career is in Oakland, where the A's, true to their fashion, gave him an $80 bottle of wine. Miguel yeah. Cabrera is a uh, recovering alcoholic. This onion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say, uh, Josh uh, messaged me and sent me a picture of it over the weekend, and then I watched him in real time as he continued to text me, <laughs> "Go, oh God, wait, Miguel was in re- Miguel's in recovery. Oh no." <laughs> The look on his face when they hand him this ball. And normally they bring the players out on the field, like some special A's players from the past that have been like, a oh, good moment with Miggy, blah, blah, blah. It was just the coach. He just handed them the bottle. They took the picture. Miggy had this face of like, thanks. Oh, he's really, I mean, he, to, to his credit, he's doing his best. Yeah. To, to really be like, you know, 
I appreciate like the the sentiment on some level. Which you gotta, you have to respect on some level. Oakland committing to the bit. Yeah. Right. Of just being. <laughs> well, everybody expects us to exactly. not do it again. This this will only. There's no such thing as bad press. You guys go out there and give this recovering alcoholic a bottle <laughs> of wine. You got it, Trader Joe's. <laughs> That's it for the news, and now we're going to turn it over to Josh for a little tribute to Tito. <laughs> Josh, the floor is yours. Uh, you you kind of gave us a, a list of some of your favorite moments from the career of Terry Francona, a.k.a. Tito. Terry Francona yeah. Jr., right? He's the second or the third? Yeah, they they uh I forget his dad had some kind of great nickname that went along with the Tito, but I forget what it was. Eh, don't worry, I'll look it up. It. Oh, you but know, yeah, but, I do but believe he's a junior. But take your time because and you, you messaged me over the weekend, you were like, Man, I would love to know uh how many times he's been ejected. And because <laughs> we track because they track everything, he has a baseball reference page complete with his ejections. Uh for those of you curious at home, he has been ejected fifty times in his career. Uh, 17 with Cleveland in less time in in fewer years than it took him to get 25 in Boston. Wow. Yeah. I knew there. I knew it had to be a lot because as I was searching for like lists of like top Tito moments to kind of harvest, so, so many of the YouTube links that I, I thought saw were uh, date date time mark. Tito ejected eighth inning. Tito ejected eighth <laughs> inning. Tito ejected seventh inning. And it's just like, dude, I didn't think about it. It's one of those things that you don't realize until you see them all kind of stacked up like that. <laughs> but I was like, he's got to be up there in the list of, you know, guys like Billy Martin and people who just have made a career of getting, you know, thrown out of the game. Yeah. So, so, so tell, so tell us and the listener. Like, for, first of all, he's he's been the manager uh, in Cleveland now. Goodness gracious, for uh, twelve, se- de- yeah, decade, over a decade. Right? He he started in twenty twelve, so this will be his twelfth and final season there. And w- what is the view of of Tito in Cleveland? Dude, people love him. Like, I think you know, Carl and you and I were talking about it off mic the other day. Um, just being a casual fan, and like, I've always at least followed like the headlines of baseball in the city. Um, I couldn't tell you who was coaching in between the time like Mike Cargrove left and Tito came in. Oh no! Just because like there was such a, the both of them made such indelible marks, and I feel like are such defined eras. Um, I don't, I don't remember what necessarily people's reaction were when Tito showed up, but I mean he just made himself a part of the city so quick. I think yeah. people were, were were happy he was here because he was a former player too. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I mean. Uh, Pretty quickly, he he hit the ground running. They they finished the 2013 season with a with a 24 game improvement over their previous season. They were eliminated in the playoffs uh, in 2013. Of course, they went to the World Series in 2016, uh, in that amazing amazing World Series. And then the following year, they t- broke the Oakland A's 20 the the record of 20 consecutive wins for an American League team. They won 22 consecutive games in 2017. Did you guys? forget that like i did until just now <laughs> yeah kind of it was such a huge thing at the time i remember the counters being there was like billboards and you know shit like that it was great <laughs> how um, many 22 yeah they had 22, 22 wow. from from august 24th to september 15th it was the second longest all-time in major league history to the giants new york giants uh 26 consecutive games in 1916 uh and so that's the base major league record and then the american league record is now 22 uh by cleveland Wow. I don't, and I, I didn't want to hijack the whole thing. I kind of wanted to give some some background and kind of give you an off ramp 
or an on-ramp in this case, uh, to kind of jump in. So you you had five moments uh, that you really wanted to kind of make sure people were aware of uh, yeah. as, as Tito rides off uh, on a scooter into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so take it away. What do you got for us? So the, the Boston World Series is the first one for me. Um, I mentioned getting out of baseball when Jose Mesa, you know, the blown save in the, or the blown game in the World Series. Uh, the thing that got me back in was that that Boston World Series, the reverse the curse games. Um, it just I, I was working a second shift print job, so I had a radio. I was it was either radio or CDs all night, uh, and it was obviously the game was on all the the sports ra- sports radio channels, and it just made me that till him and that whole team made me fall in love with baseball again. Um, I just think it's one of the most electric things ever yeah it was just um that was after i don't know how many years it was when that between the the jose mesa thing and that boston world series but that boston world series was like it was like watching a movie unfold in real time with all the like bizarre side aspects and then like the bloody shoe and then like or the play <laughs> soccer rather than like yep. that going years down the line and like having all these weird like esoteric uh, like side elements to it. It's just it was such a compelling just World Series in general. That's that was where I first kind of became aware of who even Tito was. Really, I'd still argue that the ALCS was a little more electric than the World Series that year. Oh, was yeah. it? I don't I don't think I watched well, it. I think I just got so wrapped up in. There's like a good the, thirty for the thirty end of it. Yeah, because yeah, they came from three zero, which had never happened before. The oh, World man. Series felt like destiny at that point, but they came back from three nothing. And beat the Yankees, which I think means a little bit more for the Red Sox. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, that's massive. I, just like you, I, I I have been a baseball fan. My my fandom has not waned, but I definitely it amplified in '03, in '04, in '05. Those Red Sox teams really, I think, captured a lot of people's imaginations because if nothing else, they had the whole evil empire thing and. <laughs> you know, finally somebody was going to spit in the eye of the Yankees. Your next uh, bullet point was coaching Michael Jordan, and this was a fun clip that uh, we'll definitely link in the in the episode. But uh, seeing him interviewing on ESPN or something, which I didn't yeah, know they like, did back in the day. <laughs> yeah, he was like he was running what it looked like third base. I'm assuming that was. Yeah, and he's all mic'd up, and like it's just interesting to hear him in that situation, like talking to a player, but at the same time, it's also Michael Jordan who's like yeah. just it's Michael Jordan and he's just taught he's like hey way to go homie nice job and like it just feels <laughs> like it's so funny too it's just it, it feels so like your cool uncle like Tito feels like your cool uncle yeah I was and gonna it, say not to get too weird about it uh this like halfway through but he does remind me a lot of my father-in-law so <laughs> does he really yeah so I've, it kind of works now I gotta he's, meet her her dad I can't wait <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I need to meet this guy. I need to meet the Tito doppelganger. But like, it's just it's it's a real cool little clip to watch to get a feel of like how he connects with with his players and stuff, and how much it, it do you do get the impression that he gives a shit and he cares, which is mm. probably not always the case. I'm sure a lot of guys operate a little more like mechanically and and aren't as emotionally attached. But I don't know. Tito feels like a modern, emotionally available guy. Yeah, a bit of ahead of his time, and also like even then when he was a a, a relative nobody, you know, and it, yeah, it's Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan, and it, it, everybody knows who he is as a basketball player, but he's nothing as a baseball player. But he's still sure. Michael fucking Jordan. So how do you talk to Michael Jordan? Yeah, that's a long, it's a, a long shadow that you know, not just height wise, but just the scope of <laughs> him as like a personality. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, well, Tito and, did a great job. 
Yeah, I mean, you just you just talk to him like a person, I guess. Yeah, man. Also, that guy has. I have to. I have to talk about this because Michael Jordan came up and he's a maniac, yeah. and I can't not. I can't not because he's he's nuts. The guy <laughs> has a golf course designed. I think it's in like in his backyard, specifically designed to make him able to outplay professional golfers. So that when he invites <laughs> professional golfers to his home, he is assured to beat them. That sounds like Michael Jordan. <laughs> and that is the most Mr. Burns shit I have ever heard. I mean, it would it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he just had large bodyguards just like running out of the bushes and just knocking putts you know, like off the course and <laughs> that's what I would just assume Michael Jordan did and then pretend he's probably just make he's probably making Scottie Pippen do it. <laughs> Scottie Pippen just runs the day at the gate for the house. Yeah. <laughs> what was the story with the stolen scooter? So uh, it seemed Tito's it came out like Tito's favorite mode of transportation is this little like I don't even I hesitate to even call it a moped because I don't know that it even has that large, you know, that much speed to it. It kind of looks like a, a a weird like you thing you could buy at like Walmart, and yeah, it got stolen. Somebody stole it from the Guardians like uh, compound, like from the stadium like uh, garage, and then oh, I so guess fuck. got real nervous and dumped it like three blocks away. And like Cleveland police found it, they made a whole big show of it. And he, he was on the news, like, and they got this great long shot of him, like, driving down this long hallway. And you could just see him tearing ass down this hallway. And those were the, the stories I always heard were that, like, he has the scooter and he drive, he would literally drive around, like, the, uh, you know, the lower parts of the stadium or whatever. It's all like ramps and flat surfaces and stuff, so it's like perfect for something like that. But I would always, you'd always hear the the, the joke around the locker room was that like he would tear ass around the building in this thing, and it certainly <laughs> seemed that's the case. Was it yeah. just transport around the building, or did he go home on the scooter? Too? I think he. I don't know where he stayed. Like I don't know if he lived downtown when they would when they were home or what. But I, it's they made it seem that that was like his local mode of like transportation. That's fantastic. I, I'm I'm looking at it. Right now, uh, it's just it's like a little you know two wheel like it's a yeah. scooter you know he he would just ride it around uh, and I th- if nothing else I wanted to read the sentence quote Francona was seen hugging and taking pictures with the police who were able to locate the scooter his reaction when hopping on it for the first time was absolutely priceless as well <laughs> uh, and then here's a video he's he's posing with uh, <laughs> it looks like seven cops. Uh, Tito looks like he just got out of a workout. Um, and, but yeah, there, you can clearly tell like they're parked in the bowels of the stadium. Yeah. There's uh, a big like guardian sign behind them for the locker rooms and stuff. Yep. Here's a, and I, I'm going to send Matt, I'll send you this link. Cause it's got a tweet with a gif, uh, of Tito, uh, riding a motorcycle through the bowels <laughs> of the stadium. But, uh, Hell yeah. uh, but yeah, so apparently somebody stole it. He got it back. Good for yeah, him. I think I think they uh I think they stole it and then got real like you know scared because they realized like oh this is this isn't just stealing like a little <laughs> go kart thing this is like stealing yeah. it from they clearly knew you know what I mean no one else in the stadium is going to have a, a scooter hanging out in the hallway <laughs> oh boy well I do want to talk about the 2016 World Series of course uh Cleveland team. Oh, How do you handle, the... can I ask as a Cleveland fan, because I generally will just call them Cleveland when referring to them in the past. Mm-hmm. You have it here listed as Guardians, but they were not the Guardians then. So how do, as a Cleveland fan, what do you, how do you it's, parse that? 
I it's the same team. I mean, I just I ref, if I can refer if I have to refer to them in the past, I still refer to them as Guardians because that's mm-hmm. how I see them. Um, and plus the old name just is it's yeah. it's fine. It, it's different when you're a kid and like you you're learning and like yeah. you don't know yet. And then like you get older and it's you you realize how gross it is and. I'm much happier with that name, so I try to I try to always stick to that. Yeah. As far as teams changing for uh, for reasons like that, I think Guardians is probably the best name change yeah. in, in team sports team history. Oh, I like yeah. it because it's got a great connection to the city. I mean, for those who don't know, the Guardians name comes from these really amazing ornate statues that are on one of the bridges by the stadium called the Guardians of Traffic. Uh, each one's holding like a, a one's holding like a bus. I think one's holding like a car. Different modes of of wheeled transportation. Um, and fun fact: Bob Hope's dad worked on one of them, helped sculpt it. Cool. <laughs> um, Hell yeah! But yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I like it. I mean, I it's it's a little clunky at first, but once you get used to it, like guards rolls off the tongue really well. It sounds kind of mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. Um, it's not horrendously racist, which is really awesome. <laughs> uh, it's extremely, really extremely helpful. Plus, whoever designed that really cool G. Yeah, I like that. It reminds me of the the seventies crooked uh, crooked Cleveland C logo, which is really yeah a good one. Yeah. Um, but the twenty sixteen team, dude. One of the it's one of the biggest sports heartbreaks, but in a different way. Like, it's not like it was when I was a kid and like the Jose Mesa thing. Which like, I think that just was chalked up to being a young kid and a little mm-hmm. mature or whatever. But I was just, we were just happy to be there in 2016 at that that World Series. I mean, the the we've talked, you guys have talked a little bit about Tom Hamilton on here, and there's no, there's one clip I can always go to, and it's that Rajay Davis home run. Oh yeah, that t- I think I think it ties the game up. And at that point, I think it was like 12:30 at night, and I remember just sitting on the edge of the couch and that happening and just like screaming. And it's just one of those like indelible Cleveland moments where like Rajay Davis will forever be like a hero in the city. And, yeah. You know, just for that moment alone. Um, I could do without that Cubs victory song, which I had never heard until that <laughs> World Series. Um, and World Series aside, I wouldn't have liked it then anyways, even if it wasn't you yeah. know, situation it was in. Um, that's a really terrible song, and they should get a new one. Even yeah. to be the losing team, it, it's it, it's one of the, if not the best World Series I think I've ever seen in my yeah, life. It's yes. incredible. And both teams played their asses off, going literally down to the wire in the seventh game. It was such a such an amazing game, and I was listening to. Uh, at the time, I didn't have money, um, so I was uh, so I was basically st- like I had so many different email addresses that I was getting free um, like weeks of Sirius XM, so I could listen to the the, na- the national broadcast, and that's how I did it. I was like, I had an email from like U of M Flint, and I used that, and I think I still had one from Mott, so I used that, and. Um, I'm saying things that don't matter to, to people who aren't from Flint. Fun fact about Terry Francona that I just learned that is relevant to you or I. Did you know that he spent one season working in Detroit for the Tigers? Really? Yeah, uh, apparently. And uh, his first major league job uh, it was in 1996 where he was the third base coach working under uh, the then new manager of the Detroit Tigers, Buddy Bell. Wow. Yeah. They played together for the Cincinnati when they were uh, both the, with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the last moment uh, that Josh included in his notes was also the most recent uh, moment. 
and that was the uh, Jose Ramirez Tim Anderson. I don't. I, I calling it a fight seems unfair. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hammer doesn't have a uh, a fight with a nail. Um, and the punch. It, it's yeah, just the punch. <laughs> I was gonna say the J Ram was the hammer in that situation. Do you, it's, and, it's so wild that I think probably one of the best moments of the season came from two teams that won't make the playoffs. <laughs> one of them being one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, between two players, one of them very good, and uh, and it's just so electric and so memorable that I'm like, that's probably the best moment of the. Tw- it's not even play. It's not a play. I, that's what I was gonna say. It's not a play. It's yep. still one of the best moments of the season, and it's like it's two guys fighting. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to give you my perspective on it real quick, and that is I had a blast getting all of the different videos and memes <laughs> and gifts from you uh, in the wake of it. But what what was the vibe like in Cleveland when this happened? I just everyone the Hammy call was the thing everyone rallied around. Yeah, Hammy went from baseball announcer to uh, I can't think of a famous boxing announcer, but insert famous boxing announcer here <laughs> in like. Point two seconds flat. I mean, he went right into that day. Anderson's down. Anderson's down, and it just felt it. I mean, it felt legendary. Um, it's it's a silly moment, and like my favorite part of the whole thing is Tito after the fact in that press conference. They ask <laughs> yeah. him about it, and he goes, "What did you think about uh, Ramirez's left hook?" And he goes, "It was actually a right hook." Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't paying he, attention, but <laughs> and he kind of takes a beat, and he just goes, "You know." It's not funny, but uh, and he says that about three more times, and he goes, "But you gotta chuckle." <laughs> <laughs> the boys will be boys, and then he the, just kind of—that's the end of the clip. The non-verbal, like it's not funny, but yeah. I mean, it's a very <laughs> arrested the development camera. moment. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the implied, like you gotta laugh, like of Tito in that moment is really, really amazing because you know it's it's. It is kind of like a, what are you doing? Like, grow the fuck up. But at the same time, like, it's really funny that he got knocked on his ass. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he, again, it all happened so fast. It was kind of bang, bang. <clears throat> J-Ram took umbrage to it. Okay. Sure. I've, I've taken a couple swipes to the face. I slide head first. It happens. But Tim Anderson uh, tried to speed yeah. run going from fucking around to finding out. And <laughs> I think he set a new record. Yeah, that arm swings very quick, and I don't mean Ramirez's. I just mean that the you know the the, the way that pendulum goes. Yeah, it uh, I, it comes back real fast. Matt had to send me a different angle of the punch because when I first saw it, I thought it looked like he just kind of like whiffed like his hand. Yeah, like behind, he grazed him or something. He sent me like a, a, a an angle from like the dugout, like the, from that side of it, and just clean like right by Oof. the eye. He knew what he was doing. Oh <laughs> yeah, that was very clear. Oh yeah, that was. Did you see uh, someone showed Mike Tyson? Tyson the, the the punch and got his reaction. Tyson like jumped out of his chair. He was like, "That's great! He got him." He goes, "He got him with that right hook. That's nice." He like slams the phone down. <laughs> I don't know if I like Mike Tyson still being that excited by violence. <laughs> Again, the man has nothing else but pigeons, so I feel like it, you know if he, he gets a little riled up now. about this. Oh, he, he does. <laughs> he sells some very. Uh, I it's, I wouldn't give it a good Yelp review. Is all. I'll say. Be careful. He listens. Expensive. He listens to the show. That's why I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to rile the guy up. I know he's, you know, he's in there in the RSS feed. He's got the show going, but. Listen, if you, if, if you antagonize Mike Tyson, uh, we are going to have to initiate our own crunch time run. But until then, why don't we jump over to our main topic? (laughs) 
I don't know how much I'm legally allowed to play of that Fox Sports theme. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Yeah, there you go. Um, I think as long as you don't appropriate the the, the football robot, you're going to be fine. There you yeah. go. I think that's um, the line that the crossing. We are at the final week of the season. As you're hearing this, uh, you're probably about to see your team play their final series. Um, and there's so much happening right now. There's obviously teams that have locked it up. Like the Braves have already, you know, locked up their division. A couple teams are definitely going to the postseason, like the Dodgers, the Brewers. Um, but the most interesting part is the AL West. Like I mentioned, these teams are so close. Uh, Texas currently in the lead, two and a half games in run of Houston, three ahead of Seattle. In the wild card, Toronto is two games ahead of Houston, and Houston only leads Seattle by a half a game. Houston and Seattle are playing each other this week, and then Seattle and Texas are playing each other this week. It is fucking crazy. And on the NL side of things, only two and a half games separate four teams that are trying to get two spots. Philly's the only team that seems to have locked it up. So it's getting nuts. And... You know, times have changed. It used to be that there would be tiebreakers. I don't think that there's a tie situation that might happen, uh, but that is something that could happen previously under the old rules where teams would end in a tie. They'd play one more game of the season to determine the winner. Um, But we don't have those anymore. Unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're a Tigers fan, remember what the Twins did to us in 2009. (sighs) I'll never forget. Um, So, you know, this, this postseason could be shaped in these final days. And, and really determine if, you know, maybe we have a Houstonless postseason for the first time in how long? <laughs> Six, uh, seven years? I was going to say, I think they first made the playoffs out of their, their doldrums, I think 2014, 2015. Yeah. So it's been, it's been almost a decade of uh, more or less dominance. And yeah. uh, if they don't make the playoffs, I won't. I, I I won't even ask for anything for Christmas. I don't need anything. The the Astros aren't in the playoffs. Fuck them. Good. Yeah. But this led me to question, what are some of the other craziest ways the seasons have ended and teams that you never expected made it into the playoffs? And so I compiled a couple of them and put them together here, and we're going to talk about them today on the show. So... <laughs> Here we go. Um, the very first one, and this, I also put this question to Reddit. So if you, you know, saw my posts on Reddit, if you're a random Redditor, you're like, hey, I remember this on Reddit. Uh, you are now part of the experiment. <laughs> uh, the the uh, overwhelming majority of people responded, the most crazy day in baseball history was the last day of the 2011 season. Because on that day, the Rays and the Red Sox were tied for the lone AL wildcard spot. Tampa Bay had closed a nine and a half game deficit since the start of September, but that comeback seemed doomed as Tampa Bay was behind to the Yankees seven to nothing on the final day. And Boston had a lead over Baltimore. Now Baltimore is not really part of this equation. They're out of it. You know, they're last place and the Red Sox seem to have all but tied this thing up. And especially with the Rays so deep in the hole against the Yankees, but Orioles dramatically walk off the Red Sox with two outs in the ninth after two doubles and a single of Jonathan Papelbon. I've never said his name out loud. Jonathan Papelbon. Just minutes later, the Rays, who had trailed by seven runs going into the bottom of the eighth, miraculously completed a comeback victory. They tied the Yankees in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and then sealed the deal in walk-off fashion with a legendary Evan Longoria home run in the twelfth. The Red Sox had blown a nine-game wildcard lead in less than a month, and the Rays seized 
the wildcard spot. The Rays debuted a statue in Longoria's honor this week, depicting the bat-flipping pose as he rounded the bases in the decisive win. And in the National League, not as crazy, but still kind of crazy, the Cardinals completed an eight-and-a-half game September comeback with an 8-0 win over the Astros and a 4-3, 13-inning Braves loss to the Phillies. If the season had ended September 5th, the Braves would have finished with an eight-and-a-half game lead. Boston would have had a seven-game lead. I think that's fucking nuts how much less than a month can change things. <laughs> The Boston Red Sox became, by doing that, the first team in the history of Major League Baseball. Now think about how many times you've heard like, oh, Shohei Otani did something that hadn't been done since 1933. They became the first team in Major League history to have a nine-game lead going into September and then fail to make the playoffs. They were 7-20 and 20 in the last <laughs> month of that season. Oh, my God. And like I was telling you off pod, Matt, I was out in Massachusetts at that time performing at the King Richard's Fair in Carver, Massachusetts, and it was palpable. They were not a happy group of people. <laughs> And uh, a lot of my jokes went over well with certain groups of people, but uh, there were a couple of times where I thought I was going to have to uh, get security escorts because wow. it was it was nobody tried to like fight me or anything. But I it did is Boston. Get, it is, but it is yeah. There were a couple of ah, fuck you kind of you know from the back of the crowd. And we're like, oh, there's children. Knock it off. Don't antagonize <laughs> the the chowder heads. Don't antagonize yeah, the assholes. Can't, can't do that there. They give you a knife when you're born in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> when I went to uh, Fenway to see the Mets, there were a ton of Mets fans there. And so we're, we're cheering, you know, let's go Mets, let's go Mets. And then the Red Sox fans would just drown you out angrily. And it was like, they were nice to you, you know, in the stadium and everything. But once the game started, they're like, fuck you. And so the uh, unifying thing between the two teams was we'd all just start saying, chanting Yankees suck. And so everybody was happy. There you go. It's the great unifier, no matter yeah. what. Um. Moving on to the 2007 Rockies, also known as Rocktober. Um, technically, Rock September is what I'm going to talk about, but <laughs> Rocktember. Rocktember. Um, one of the best stretch runs ever. The 2007 Rockies are probably the biggest baseball Cinderella story of the last generation. Having a record of 76 and 72 at the start of play on September 16th, the Rockies proceeded to win 14 of the final 15 games, including a franchise record. 11 game win streak. The stretch culminated with a 9 8 13 inning victory over the Padres in a one game playoff for the wild card berth, also known as Game 163 in the age of tiebreaker games. The Rockies then swept their first seven playoff games to win the 2007 National League pennant. Now we're in Rocktober, of course. Their first ever pennant as, uh, as a team. They're not that old, but still. Um, and then the, uh, the World Series, they had won, by the time they reached the World Series, they had won 22 out of the last, or 21 out of the last 22 games. Fans in the media nicknamed this Rocktober, and then Rocktober ended to give way to Red Sox-vember, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they, they got swept by the Red Sox, so... <laughs> Um, that game, uh, 163, of course, had the uh, infamous Matt Holiday slide. Uh, whether Padres fans still think Matt Holiday was out, um, I'm not going to dive into that. <laughs> you don't think it was he out? Uh, I, it, it, there was uh, some controversy as to whether or not he actually touched home plate. Um, I don't remember it well enough, and I'm not looking at it. But I remember that there was it was more so whether or not he actually uh, touched the plate. You um, always got to touch the bases. It's a big boner if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> a little tease for what's coming later. 
Uh, again, are we not doing phrasing? Uh, 1967, which is the uh, unlikeliest pennant race out of all of these. There were 101 odds against Boston for winning the pennant. They were in fifth place on August 15th. There were only three games back, but you got to remember this is before division play. So you're playing against everybody in the AL. So they're three games back, but they're also behind uh, four different teams, the Angels, Tigers, White Sox, and the first place Twins. Everything changed after August 15th. Angels went on a huge losing streak, and the other four teams played at an insane, like, two out of three winning clip. Uh, by September 7th, all four are tied for first place. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Going into a final week of play, a four-way tie was mathematically possible. And I, we had this conversation the other day, Carl. I was like, could that happen? And yeah. what do you do if it does? <laughs> because that's uh, that's kind of crazy. And even then, they were like, well, we don't know what to do if that happens. <laughs> yeah, back then, no one had ever conceived that possibility. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's something in place that we're just not aware of because it's so mathematically improbable. But it'll come down to like run I differential think it's season and, season i think it's yeah. season series records um it's got it's got to be especially now with the balance schedule um after the white Sox lost a doubleheader to the a's the tigers split one with the angels and the red Sox swept the twins boston squeaked ahead to finally take sole possession of first place so that is the i called it 100 to 1 odds the the saber article that i linked in the description gave it some kind of insane number for them even going to the world series but 100 to 1 sounded a little more realistic and even then <laughs> Wild. If you put money on that, you are a very rich person. No, oh, yeah. you're kidding. Um, the Miracle Mets are next up in 1969. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so for the first seven years of their existence, the Mets were bad, just awful. Um, they never finished with a winning season. They lost 100 games in five out of those seven seasons. But that all changed in 1969, the same year that the league started division play. And on August 14th, the Mets trailed the Cubs by 10 games in the NL East, but they went on an insane, a miracle, 38 to 11 run, and that allowed them to capture the East by eight games. They went from 10 down to eight up, and they went on to win the World Series in five games over the Orioles. Um, they had a similar surge in 1973. They didn't win the World Series that year, but they went into the All-Star break in last place, 12 games behind the Cubs. <laughs> and then they're having a team meeting and they're like we can do this guys we got to turn this season around and uh their closer tug mcgraw uh, uh shouted out the infamous phrase you gotta believe and that's rallied mets fans ever since uh they went on to win 21 of the final 29 games won the division on the last day of the season but lost the world series to the a's mm. Now, this, of course, you mentioned they were the, one of the worst teams for the first seven years of their existence, including the modern record uh, for most losses in a season uh, with 120. But they are not. That is not the all-time record. The all-time record belongs to the Cleveland Spiders. There we go. In 1899, back back when they still played 154 games in a regular season, uh, the Cleveland Spiders still managed to lose more games and less opportunities when they went 20 and 134. That's right, the Cleveland way. Yeah. Now, the difference, though, and this is a fun fact, Cleveland uh, was owned by a guy that also went out and bought the Cardinals. And he took all of Cleveland's best players and he moved them to the Cardinals and then sold Cleveland. <laughs> yes. 
And so they were literally sent down the river with nobody. And that's why they lost so many games. They had nobody to play. Wow. Um, and, now, and now the Oakland Athletics have lost 108 games this season, but they are mathematically out of the race for the worst record. Good for uh, them. Yeah, the, the, best, the best that they could possibly do at this point uh, is lose uh, the last six games of the season to get 114 losses. Which is still better than the expansion era uh, record holders, the 2003 Tigers. That's right. All right. We The moment everybody's been waiting for, we're going to talk about the 1908 pennant races and, most importantly, Merkel's Boner. I, I'm so glad that we're, <laughs> we've, we're slipping in a boner. Uh, a little boner talk never hurt the boys. We no, love boner talk on this show. Um, so this all starts on October 1st. The games were played a little bit later in the season back then because... Back there were when? no divisions. Uh, 1908. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make um, sure we knew. 1908. So there's no divisions. There's a lot fewer teams. Um, and the there's only just you win the, the, the pennant and then you play the World Series. That's it. There's no playoffs, right? Um, so it's, it's literally down to the wire here in October, which is still part of the regular season. And on October 1st, we had the Giants, Cubs, and Pirates all tied for the National League pennant with six days left. And Detroit is in the lead of the AL by just a half a game over Cleveland and a game and a half over the White Sox. The National League leader would change daily that week, while Detroit barely clung to their lead and didn't clinch the last game or didn't clinch until the very last game of the season. It was really neck and neck for the AL the whole time. But the NL was very sticky. Giants and Cubs entered the final game tied and the Pirates were only a half game behind. It's important to note that these games frequently needed to be called early for very weird reasons, because you must remember that none of these stadiums had lights. <laughs> um, so <laughs> darkness was the chief reason games got called early. Ties were pretty normal back then. Um, but there was also a thing where fans, once your team won a dramatic win, you'd storm the field. And if something happened where the game wasn't technically over, the umpires would have to call it because they can't get all those people off the field. And that begs the question, begs the story of Merkel's boner. And on September 23rd, we're going back in time now. Way back a couple weeks ago on September 23rd, two outs in the bottom of the ninth, man on first in a tied game. 19-year-old Giants first baseman Fred Merkel singled to put runners on the corners. Al Bridwell then hit what should have been the game-winning single. Fans mobbed the field. And before advancing to second, Merkel went back to the dugout to avoid the crowd. The Cubs' second baseman, Johnny Evers, noticed this, found the ball, and tagged second base. The official MLB rule 5.08A states, a run is not scored if the runner advances to home base during a play in which the third out is made by any runner being forced out. The out at second was a force out. Because of the mob on the field and the setting sun, the umpires had to declare the game a tie, forcing a makeup game to the end of the season with the Giants and Cubs tied. Because of Merkel's boner, they could have won. They could have clinched the division with that game three weeks ago, but instead they have to play this makeup game to absolve the tie. The Cubs won the makeup game, later the World Series, in, against the Tigers in five games, their final World Series victory for over 100 years, and Take Me Out to the Ball Game was written a few weeks late, later. 1908, magical year for baseball. I thought you were going to say they rolled Coke Cubs go, and I was going to quit the podcast. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Uh, 
the the World Series. You, you, you're right. The the Cubs did not win a World Series for another 108 years, but it was another 80 before they put fucking lights at Wrigley Field. August of <laughs> 1988. It took 80 years. They were hoping for another Merkel boner. That's yeah. what they were holding out for. They were like. <laughs> Man, remember the last time we didn't put lights in our stadium and some guy fucked up and we won the World Series? Let's do that again. It could work again. <laughs> and then in 1988, they were like, we, we quit. We give up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if we'll have any Merkel-type boners that'll close out this season, but either way, I think it'll be a very dramatic end to this year, uh, which has already been a, a wild year, even though, like I mentioned, the best thing that happened was not a play but a fight between two teams not going to the postseason but i digress <laughs> yeah so before we before we close this up i i kind of want to double back to the beginning of this is this topic uh, matt who do you think is who are put, put your p- prognosticator hat on who do you think is walking away with the al west if i had to guess the way it's going to shake out and kind of the way i hope not just guess but hope I think Texas is going to take the division. I think Seattle is going to upset for the wild card. Really? That's what I think. I think they they got their ass kicked this week, but so did Houston. The difference is Houston got their ass kicked by Kansas City, and uh, they also just lost series against Kansas City two weeks ago and the Oakland A's, so they're having kind of a rough September. The Mariners aren't doing so great either, but I think that there's a fire underneath them that isn't there for Houston. At least that's from an outsider's perspective what I'm kind of gathering. And I think Texas, they stumbled early and they got to right that ship before it mattered. And now I think they they kind of have a hold. They're also not they're they're playing Seattle, but you know, so we'll see. I that's what I think. What do you think? I think Seattle has the toughest uh, road to hoe because they got three against Houston and then they finished the season against Texas. So they're playing exclusively uh, in the division. Houston has Seattle, of course. We just talked about that. And Arizona. Um, and then Texas has three against Anaheim starting tonight and and then Seattle. Um, I, I think... I think you're. I think. I think Texas. Yeah, I think Texas is going to hold on. They're they got a two and a half game lead as of this record, uh, and then they've got three against a just demoralized Anaheim uh, team. I think they're going to easily take two out of three from them, and then it really just comes down to whether or not they can uh, get past Seattle. But I think. I think Houston is going to be on. I think Houston's going to be the odd team out. I really do. I think that that Kansas City that that sweep at the hands of the Royals is going to be pretty demoralizing. And I think Arizona, um, just to kind of put a, a cherry on the end of their season, is going to make a, a real statement in that last game uh, in Air that last series in Arizona. So Houston has Ooh. to finish the season in a very unpredictable situation with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I think Texas is going to get the West and I think Seattle's going to pick up a wild card spot. Well, we'll see. By the time you're listening to this, maybe something's already been determined. Maybe not. Maybe we'll have to tell next week. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been such a delight having you join us and, and regale us in some Cleveland history. Oh, thank you guys for having me, man. It was it was great to hang out and watch the show kind of unfold. Like I said, I'm a fan, so it's I, I would have been happy just sitting here hanging out while you guys recorded, to be quite honest. So I appreciate <laughs> well, you, you involving me. Jeez, you should have said something sooner. I'd have muted you. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, seriously, it, it, I we've talked about it all season. I'm glad we got the opportunity to do it. Thank you so much Absolutely. for doing this. And, and thank you for that great topic. Uh, it, Tito has been one of the most fun and best managers of the past 
a uh, couple decades in Major League Baseball. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, sad to see him go. So thank you for helping us uh, give him a fond and proper set Absolutely. Do you have anything you want to plug? No, but since I missed the initial episode I was going to be a guest on, which was when you guys talked movies, I want to tell people to go watch The Fan because that movie is batshit insane. The, the Fan? <laughs> what the is fans. that? So it's Robert De Niro, Benicio Del Toro, Wesley Snipes, um, oh God, uh, John Leguizamo and a couple other people. Uh, De Niro plays like an obsessed uh, San Francisco Giants fan. Uh, huge fan of this guy Bobby Rayburn, who is Wesley Snipes' character. Uh, Wesley Snipes gets up, starts to get upstaged by Benicio del Toro, who's like a younger, up and coming player. Bobby Rayburn maybe has something to say about that. He's not real. He's not a big. He doesn't like this new guy. So there's some you know tension building, and it's you know there's a, there's a lot of interpersonal family drama, but it's it's mostly just De Niro being a real psycho for like two hours. Sounds awesome. <laughs> it's it's not, but it's really fun. <laughs> but it sounds awesome. It's it's like you could do you could definitely do like a really compelling like thriller with what they've got. And I mean there is a pretty decent thriller in there somewhere, but it's you know it's the 90s, so it's not yeah, it's true. not without its its failings. I, I, I will I'll say this. It's got major energy in terms of like, you know how sometimes they'll take a movie that's not a horror movie but they'll cut a trailer to make it look like yes. a horror movie. That's, That's a perfect f- way to describe it. Gotcha. That, they did it in reverse. They made a comedy trailer, that, but then the movie was more like a thriller, but it it's, wasn't sure. It's, it's almost sort of like falling down, but like instead of eating his lunch, he just wants to go to a baseball game. Yeah. <laughs> like he leaves, like there's a, there's one scene where he leaves work and takes his kid to a Giants game, but then leaves his kid at the Giants game and goes back to work. And then leaves again and comes back. And his kid is like nine. Like, he's like, just stay here. You'll be fine. He buys him nachos. Like, there's some old lady who's watching him and she narks on him and it's a whole thing. It's a it's a pretty wild movie. Yeah. Well, So check out The Fan. Go check out The Fan. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh Fekete. Uh Matt, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> coming out next week yeah next episode um, next week and we're gonna have another guest but we'll we'll we'll, we'll save that for that time Ooh, it's exciting all right well thanks again for listening folks and we will see you hear you you'll hear us i always fuck this part up next week <laughs> put me in coach is an arctic sounds original podcast hosted by matt coggins and carl mizell theme music is by quack quack seatback edited and produced by matt coggins Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.